Good morning, everybody. It's certainly good to be here. I mean, speaking personally, it's good to be here. I wasn't able to be here last week. I was in quarantine, having had COVID and was getting over it. And was I felt 100%, and if you, you can't appreciate the frustration of being fine and just still being compelled and bound by edict to stay in your home, especially when you've been in your home for a long time and you're ready just to get out of your home and you go a little crazy and you go a little mad, but I'm out, I'm free, I've broken out, so I'm thankful to be here. And as Bill said and Mark uh, mentioned in the announcements, we have a lot of our number who are um, either currently sick or getting over the sickness or still just quarantining and like me being stir crazy, ready to get out. Uh, so our prayers are with them, but also for those of you who we're in that same boat not too long ago, and now you're out. I know you're thankful to be out, and we're thankful to see you <clears throat> as well. Um, I was supposed to preach this sermon last week, but obviously I was at home in quarantine. Uh, so I didn't get a chance to wear my turkey tie, so I'm wearing it today even though Thanksgiving is over. It's supposed to be, I plan these things, I have my ties planned out, my shirts and ties picked out six months in advance. Because, of course, I do. And it was supposed to be my red and white striped candy cane tie because this is the official beginning of the Christmas season, Nana. Even though I was worshiping, not worshiping, I was celebrating uh, Christmas on Halloween night like a normal person would do. So I was supposed to wear my candy cane tie, but I'll find a way to work that in. I've got more Christmas ties than I have Christmas, you know, days to celebrate. So I'll find a way to work it in. But I'm wearing my turkey tie today because I wanted to preach to you the sermon this morning that I was going to preach to you last week. So this, in that sense, it is it's going to be perceived as the pre-Thanksgiving sermon. But it was just a couple of days ago. I've still got turkey in my fridge. I'm sure you do too. It's still kind of a Thanksgiving-esque time. So we can kind of keep that in our mind as we consider the sermon this morning. Which really is not, you know, your typical Thanksgiving-themed sermon. Other than me saying Thanksgiving a few more times, I'm not even going to mention it anymore in the sermon. Uh, we're not going to read scriptures that use the word thanks or thankfulness or thanksgiving in them, though those are all great to do and to read and to study and to live by, but that's not what this sermon is about. This sermon is about the fact that as we move into this period of time that lasts about 40 days, when people are a little more kind, a little more charitable, a little more merciful, a little more generous or whatever, than they are the other 11 months or so of the year. As we move into that time, it's very easy to get swept up in the um, you know, happy hysteria and to feel ourselves a little more charitable, a little more kind, a little more forgiving, and so forth. And it's, it's important, I think, sometimes for us just to stop, back up, and look around with clear eyes and realize that while for most people this is the most wonderful time of the year, for many other people, this is a time of additional stress, anxiety, worry, sometimes even bitterness, frustration, even anger. And the people who have those kinds of feelings, mind you, they're not necessarily your typical cliched Ebenezer Scrooge, I hate everybody, I don't want to be kind, I don't want to be generous. Not like, it's not necessarily like that. I'm sure those people are out there. But it's also the case that there are people who have been hurt who have been disappointed, who have been attacked and abused and beaten down enough by the world around them, by a hostile world around them, that they don't even know the avenue to be kind and charitable and generous and merciful. They've lost whatever was originally there to know how to do that. 
And so for them, this time of the year is the most frustrating time of the year. Or it is the most bitter-filled time of the year. And those people are our neighbors, and we are compelled to love our neighbors. And we have to live a certain way to show those kinds of neighbors that you can be kind, and you can be forgiving, and you can be merciful, and you can be all the things a Christian is supposed to be, not just because of the time of year it is, but because of the kind of people that we are. And it is sometimes hard to be that kind of people. And the reason is because we live in a hostile world. I want you to open your Bibles, please, to 1 Peter chapter 2. And we're going to consider, just from this chapter, a handful of key words that the Apostle Peter provides for us. As we consider not just living in a hostile world, not just surviving in this hostile world, but thriving, improving ourselves, being the kind of people that a hostile world is trying to beat out of us, trying to drive out of us. The kinds of things that people are going to be singing about for the next 40 or so days, but that we have to live by all the time because in June, the world is still hostile. In February, the world is still hostile. In fact, even more so because they don't have the soundtrack of kindness playing by Bing Crosby and Perry Como 24-7 in June or in February or in September. And so that hostile world that is sometimes so antagonistic toward Christianity is the world in which we live. And we are not called by Jesus Christ just to get through it. We are not called by Jesus Christ just to hunker down, play defense, buckle up, and just hang on. We are called by Jesus Christ to blossom to grow, to thrive in spite of this hostile world. So as I say, open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2 because it's in this text where Peter, really the whole book, which we don't have time to cover the whole book, but really the whole book of 1 Peter is about that very idea. The world hates you. The world will attack you. You will feel like giving up. Here's why you don't need to give up. Here's why it's worth hanging on and thriving and growing in that uh, hostile world. But from 1 Peter chapter 2, which we're not going to consider the whole chapter, it's 25 verses. As I say, we're just going to draw four words, four ideas from a handful of verses in this text about what we can do to thrive in this hostile world. Beginning at the beginning, notice with me the very first two verses of 1 Peter chapter 2 and how we can, first of all, grow and how we are called and compelled and commanded in this hostile world to thrive in it by growing as Christians. Look at the first two verses where Peter says, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and all hypocrisies and all envyings and all evil speakings. Your Bible translation may vary, but those are the five words I have. Verse 2, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Look at the list of things that, first of all, Peter says, if you want to grow, a word which means to expand, to get bigger, to become more, these are the things you have to shed, things you have to get rid of. You have to lay aside what? Lay aside all malice, the King James says. Lay aside all desire to revenge against those who have wronged you. Because this is a hostile world. This world hates you. This world is going to try to break you, try to beat you down, try to beat you up. And what your, your, your cultural compulsion is going to be is to fight back, to revenge, to get justice for yourself, to make things even. But you are not the judge. The judge is who makes things even. That's God's department. 
You are called to set aside feelings of malice. Hatred is what it is. But it's a hatred that desires to attack back at the one who hurts you. Not only malice. Lay aside all malice and all, the King James says, guile, deceitful words. Because sometimes we get back at people, not just with our fists, but sometimes with our words. And sometimes we manipulate and we con and we say evil things in a deceitful way to try to hurt those people who have hurt us. And certainly that's how the world operates. That's how the world gets by. The world will say and do whatever it has to do for the world and the people in the world to get ahead. And so again, the cultural compulsion is to join in with that and to speak evil things in deceitful ways. But Peter again says, no, set that aside. That's not the kind of people we are. You want to grow. You can't have that. Set aside, the next one is hypocrisies. Set aside this idea of smiling on the outside and hating on the inside. Of talking a certain way and acting a certain way in public while in private, you think and you act and you live a totally different way. Set aside the mentality of I'm going to present myself a certain way when the real me is something else entirely. Again, that is the world's modus operandi. That is how the world is going to get through and the world, how the world is going to get by. The world will smile while it's secretly plotting to shiv you in the back. But we are not that kind of people. We want to grow in spite of this world, and so we're not going to act like that. We're going to set aside those things as well as envies. There's a difference, by the way, not by the way, it's the whole point, between envy and jealousy. We use the words interchangeably, but we ought not. Jealousy is when I have possession of something and I don't want to share. I don't want you to have it. I'm going to hold on to it selfishly. That's jealousy. Envy is the desire to acquire something which I don't need to have. You have. I want. And I will do whatever is necessary, whatever it takes to get what I want from you so that you have less and I have more. That's the exact opposite of Christianity. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. God who had it all left it all so we who had nothing could have it all. So we're not going to be a people who envy. But we're going to be a people who live in a world that envies we're going to be a people that live in a hostile world that's going to see what other people have and desire to take well we're not going to be a people who desire to take we're going to be a people who desires to give so set aside all envies and finally set aside all evil speakings not just guile not just deceitful talk but any hate-filled talk any evil talk any hurtful talk because sticks and stones may break your bones and bones heal in like six months words hurt for years and years and there are people in therapy at 65 years old who talk about words they heard when they were 15 words hurt we're not going to be a people who speak evil thoughts we're not going to be a people who speak evil thoughts we're going to be a people who have kind thoughts and who speak kind words and that's going to make us very different from the world we'll get to that in the second point but we're not going to be what the world is because the world is a people that will say what's on its mind, and what's on its mind is usually evil, and so they say evil things. We're going to shed all of that, and we're going to move into verse number two, where he says, we're going to have to, having shed all of that, what's left? We're going to be a brand new person. And like brand newborn babies need milk, we're going to be a people that craves the sincere milk, the genuine, not hypocritical, the, the true, not artificial, the helpful, not phony milk of the word, so that we may, what's our word? grow thereby this is a world that's going to try to get you to give up 
This is a hostile world that's going to try to get you to quit, but we're not only not going to quit, we're not only not going to just stay stagnant, we are going to press out against it, push back against the tide, and grow by not doing all the things that the world does by nature. That's the first point. Three more. Second, not just grow. Peter says we need to know. Look at verses 9 and 10. 9 was read to us a minute ago. Let's look at it again. Who are you? Know who you are. Know who you are, not what the world says you are. Know who you are, not what you are accused of being, because other people who call themselves Christians are hypocritical and have malice and speak evil and speak guile and envy. Know who you are, not who the world presumes you to be. Don't live up to that standard. Live up to Christ's standard. Who does Christ say you are? Look at verse number 9. You are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a peculiar people. So that you, being all those things, can show forth the praises of Him who has called you out of darkness, out of a hostile world and into his marvelous light who are you verse number 10 you were in time past not a people of God but now you are a people of God you were in time past a people who had not obtained mercy but now you have obtained mercy you've been given a second chance by God and so being a people who's given a second chance the world who is not going to appreciate that who's not going to see that in you they're just going to see the same old person that you were before and they're going to try to pigeonhole and they're going to try to peg you they're going to try to define who you are for you. Don't let the world define you. Let Christ define you. He's the one who chose you. You are, verse 9, not just a generation, not just a nationality of people, not just a, a, a race, but you're a chosen race. You're a people that has been selected. You're a people that's been invited, and that whole world has been invited, but of the whole world, you have answered the invitation. You have accepted the call. Of Jesus Christ you have become a chosen generation you're not just a priesthood you're a royal priesthood your royalty LB you're a prince did you know that you are a prince Nana you're a princess you are princes and princesses in the kingdom of Jesus Christ listen you are not just however princes and princesses because in the world in the hostile world that has kingdoms, princes and princesses don't do anything but occasionally cut ribbons with oversized scissors and smile at and pet dogs for the camera. But that's not who you are. You're not just a prince or a princess. You're a royal priesthood. You're royal workers. You're royal priests and priestesses. You're people who bring worship and honor to the king. You're people who worship and bring praise to the Father. Your people who worship and bring your lives to the Son of God. That's who you are. You're a holy nation. A holy nation. We live in a nation. We live in a nation. This is not a holy nation, the United States of America. It has never been. Before you start saying a back-in-my-day story that no one wants to hear. It has never been a holy nation. No nation on this planet Earth in the physical world has ever been a holy nation until you go all the way back to Israel and they were holy because God called them holy and then they did everything they could to stop acting that way. The holy nation of God today is the church of Jesus Christ. His holy people, that's you. You are His people. He is your president. We'll get there again 
in just a second. You are a peculiar people, a people of God's particular choosing. But you can take the word peculiar and you can use it literally because because of the way you live, the world will look at you as different. Because of the way that you are going to live, the hostile world will look at you as odd. And things that are odd are things that are attacked in this world because they don't conform, they don't fit in. It makes people weird and people want to attack, to force, to mold, to force, to conform. But we're going to be a peculiar people. Why? Because we're a people who are going to show forth the praises of Him, God, who has called us out of darkness and into His life. We're going to be a people who reflect the fact that we didn't used to be, but now are a chosen people. We didn't used to be, but now are an obtained people. We didn't used to be, but now are a people who have mercy. Don't let the world define you. The world will have encountered people who call themselves Christians. And those people who call themselves Christians will have been evil to them. Will have done them wrong. You can find them on the television probably right now preaching with fancy million dollar suits living in million dollar mansions telling people if you'll just give them a million more dollars that they'll be blessed by God. That's not how it works, but that's what Joel Osteen lives by. And I mean he lives by it because that's the way he makes his bones. And there are people who will call themselves Christians and will attack other people and hate other people and abuse other people and they will, they will give Christianity a bad name. And because of that, people will look at you when you call yourself a Christian and they will try to define what you are. Let Jesus define what you are. You're a holy nation. You're a peculiar people. You're a royal priesthood. You're a chosen generation. Next one. Not just know, but we're going to be a people as we thrive in this evil world we're going to be people who shows who we are. And we're going to show who we are by serving. Look at verse 17. Peter says, honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God. The King James says honor the king, but the word back in 2,000 years ago they would have heard was honor the Caesar. Whether it's a Caesar or a Kaiser or a president or an earthly king or queen or a, a parliament or a prime minister, or whomever, an emperor, a dictator, whoever it is where you live that is in charge of your physical world around you, you are given some commandments about how to treat that person. And this is where your feet are about to get stomped on. This is where I'm about to attack you or myself if it applies. Verse 17 again, honor all men. Easy, no problem. I can do that. I can love my neighbor. I can, next one, love the brotherhood. Well, it's easy to love my brothers because you're all so sweet and kind. You're all so great. I mean, not all of you, but most of you are really great. So it's easy to love each other. But I would remind you before we move on what the master himself says about the sinners of the world who how they love their own. And how it's easy to love your own kind because your own kind are like you. They've already conformed to you. It's easy to like who's like you. Not so easy to like those who are not like you. But still, we must do it, so it says, love the brotherhood. Fear God, no problem. I can do that. I can respect God. I can revere God. I can make God number one. That's fine. Honor the president. Honor the king. Respect the Caesar. And I would remind you, before you start thinking about Joe Biden, or a year ago, plus some, a year ago and change, Donald Trump, or before that, Barack Obama, or before that, uh, George W. Bush, whomever it was in your time period when you first read this text and you had to apply it to yourself. I would remind you that no president we've ever had has come after us with uh, pitchforks and torches like the Caesar came after Christians. 
So before you start giving me a pity party, a woe is me party about how bad the government is, and I'm not saying they're swell, we all know they're not. Before you give me all that, I would remind you that in the first century when this was written and the people to whom it was written, their government wasn't just imposing high taxation. Their government wasn't just passive-aggressive toward religions. Their government was cutting off people's heads. And yet that Caesar, who was cutting off people's heads, was told to be honored. I'll tell you what they didn't say about Caesar by this commandment. They didn't say, let's go, Brandon, because we all know what that means. So they didn't say that on their Facebook pages that they had 2,000 years ago. They had to chisel their, their status updates. No, they didn't do that. What did they do? They did the opposite of that. They honored. They respected. Well, I didn't vote for him. Nobody voted for the Caesar. Nobody voted for the Caesar, and yet honor the Caesar. When you do that, believe me, you'll show yourself different. You'll show yourself set apart You'll make yourself, you're not making yourself set apart when you update your status with the latest let's go Brandon joke. You're making yourself just like everybody else. And so no one is seeing a light in a dark world. What they're seeing is more darkness. So you can contribute to a hostile world or you can make the world a little less hostile by you separating from it and shining a light that says I'm going to honor, I'm going to serve, I'm going to be good too, I'm going to respect even when, if not especially because, it's not reciprocated. Because that's what a Christian does in this hostile world. Show who you are by serving. Last one and then we're done. Look at verse 19. You got to know who you are. You got to show who you are. You have to grow who you are. And at the end of it, if you do all those things, you will not just know, but you will glow. You will shine. Verse 19. For this is thankworthy. If a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. This, the King James, is thankworthy. First of all, what is thankworthy? It is thankworthy when you do wrong, oh, sorry, you do right and you suffer hardships, suffer wrong. It is not thankworthy if you do wrong and you are punished for it. That's just the system. That's the system working. When you do wrong and you're punished, the punishment fits the crime, that's how it's supposed to be. You don't get to complain. But when you do right as a Christian and you are punished for it by a hostile, evil world that's looking for reasons to attack you, that is a thing thankworthy. Now, to make sure we understand what that word means, God is not the one thanking you. You're the one thanking God. God does not thank you. God will never thank you. The closest you'll get is him saying, well done, good and faithful servant. But that ain't thanks. Because you're not doing him any favors. You're serving. You're showing, you're knowing, you're growing. But he doesn't thank his servants. We are all unprofitable servants. And we don't expect thanks from God. Luke 17 verse 10. So no, the thankfulness is coming from me to God. I am thankful to God. And in that context, I'm thankful to God because I who has done right am suffering for it. I'm thankful to God that having done right, I'm being attacked for it, abused for it. Why is that a thing for me to thank God for? Because your last one, here's a bonus and then we're done. I get to follow in my master's steps. I get to live like Jesus. When I'm doing what I'm supposed to do and I'm abused for it, people hopefully will start to see that. And what they will see from a world's perspective is a little bitty flickering candlelight in a very dark world. When I get back at people, when I revenge for myself, when I speak evil, when I attack, when I try to make my own justice happen, when I'm a hurt, 
and I'm beaten down by the world. All I'm doing is I'm extinguishing that flame and I'm contributing to the darkness. Listen, this is a very dark world. And in a very bright place, you don't see a single candlelight. But we don't live in a very bright place. We live in a very dark place. How much brightness can you offer with just your one little candlelight? You'd be surprised considering how dark and dark and dark this world is. But you can't glow if you don't follow. Verse 21, this is what you've been called for. Christ left us an example that we should follow in his steps. When you suffer for doing right, and you suffer with thankfulness to God that you have the privilege of suffering, you are being thankful to God that you can follow in the example of Jesus who did right and suffered for it. And how you get to follow in his steps by continuing to set that example for the world. Look at me, and through looking at me, you get to look at Jesus. You get to see him who first suffered, having never done anything wrong. And when I follow Jesus, I am paving a path. I'm following a trail that's already been blazed. But I am continuing to blaze that same trail that he first lit the way for. So that this dark world can see there's another way to live. Or, you can forget all that. And you can just contribute to the hostility. You can contribute to make this world a dark place. And for about 40 days in late November and December, it'll seem like it's happy, fine, everything's great. And then January rolls around and we're all angry again. Or you can be a people who's different 24-7, 365, 12. What kind of people will you be? What kind of people, what kind of person will I be? I want to be a person who doesn't just survive, but thrives in this world and if I do that I won't just thrive in this world I will do my part to save some of the people who are in this dark world what's your spiritual condition this morning are you here this morning and not a Christian if you're not a Christian you are in the dark world but you don't have to stay in the dark world you are contributing to the darkness of this world but maybe you're just as beaten down by it as everybody else is you have been invited by jesus christ to step out of the darkness and to shine the light of god will you take advantage of that believe the gospel of jesus christ turn away from your sins confess him before men be baptized into him for the remission of your sins if you are a christian but you snuffed out your own light You've stopped shining it brightly. You've stopped glowing. You've stopped showing. You've stopped knowing. You've stopped growing. Now is your opportunity to spark the light once more, to be restored, to come back home. Let us encourage you, whatever you need, right now as we stand, as we sing.